listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. This is Aaron Fishman. In February, the Clippers dealt Toby and Bobby to the 76ers. Good thing for Clippers faithful, they've still got Yovi. And he's covering the team for The Athletic, and now contributing to Fox Sports West as well. Of course, I'm talking about Yovan Buha, who also hosts the Clip City podcast. Yovan was gracious enough to call into the show from Las Vegas, where he was spending his final day at Summer League. With the Clippers the talk of the NBA world, after somehow landing both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the same July night last week, trying to get Yovan on the show felt like a no-brainer. Here's what happened last week. In short, Leonard long wanted to play in LA, but he was reportedly not ready to join the Clippers if he couldn't bring over a superstar teammate. First, Kevin Durant politely declined. He was already going to Brooklyn. Then, despite having three years left on his contract, fellow Southern California native Paul George was effectively swayed and promptly requested a trade from the Thunder. OKC ultimately obliged, but not unless the Clippers paid a steep price in the form of an unprecedented number of draft picks, along with Danilo Gallinari and 2018 lottery pick Shea Gilgis-Alexander. With me, Yovan talks less about the week leading up to the Friday night Woj bomb and the trade itself, and much more about the moves and machinations preceding it over the previous two years and the current state of the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers were championship favorites for the first time in their history on May 10th, 2015, after taking a 3-1 series lead over the Rockets. At the time, the Warriors had not yet begun their title run, and trailed the Grizzlies two games to one. Well, a little more than four years later, and with a completely overhauled roster, the Clippers are championship favorites again. What a treat to discuss these new-look Clippers with Jovan Buha, one of the more talented reporters around the league. It's exciting to have you on, especially this week. Let's dive right in. Did you, like most of us, also hear from Adrian Wojnarowski's Twitter? Uh, no, I, well, yes, technically, uh, I actually heard from my roommate. Um, I, <laughs> I live in a house, I have three roommates and one of my roommates is a big Lakers fan. And I just heard him start screaming, uh, some expletives and, uh, I kind of ran over wasn't sure what was going on. And he's like, the Clippers just got Kawhi and Paul George. And he's like, but, but I, you know, I, I don't really believe it. I don't know if this is a fake Woj account. Like <laughs> I was like, okay, let me check. So I go to my phone, check. And yeah, yeah. You know, saw the, saw the news. So I was about like five minutes late to it. Uh, after when it dropped, uh, I think a lot of people were late to it. You know, a lot of people woke up, um, cause it, it was, you know, I think it dropped at 10 PM on, uh, Friday night. Pacific, yeah, I mean, yeah. and on the East Coast, a lot of people are asleep. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I, I, I mean, technically, yes, uh, but I would honestly probably not have had my roommate not 
spin up or, or not reacted that way, uh, I probably would not have known for another like 20 minutes or so. So yeah. um, I'm kind of glad he, he got upset. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the transparency. So your roommate's reaction, I think, pretty much encapsulates the reaction of Los Angeles basketball fans. I was in a restaurant with three friends and we were talking about all this stuff, but we didn't know that it broke. And I think it broke maybe 25 minutes before, but I got three or four consecutive messages on WhatsApp from my friend, Jonathan Santiago, who's out of the country. And it kind of, it's a different vibration with WhatsApp than a regular text. And they were all consecutively. So I thought something was wrong or I was getting a call or something. And then I, I read it and then I told my friends, they looked into it too. We were in a restaurant and there were a lot of sports fans around and stuff. Then all the tables started buzzing with this talk and, and naturally almost everyone were Laker fans around. But yeah, crazy times. Yeah, definitely. So here's my argument about what ultimately happened late last Friday night. And I have a feeling you'll agree. I contend that the Clippers front office had to do virtually everything right years ahead of time, deal after deal, move after move to be in a position where they even had a sliver of a chance of coming away with both of these superstars. And then, of course, on top of all of that, they had to get lucky. So if you can, just walk me through the main team building moves in recent years that created a scenario that made this even remotely possible. Yeah, so... You know what? This all really dates back to the summer of 2017 when the Clippers restructured their front office, and you know Doc Rivers stepped down as the uh, president of basketball operations, which I think is is really the actually one of the biggest, if not the biggest, kind of dominoes in all of this because you know in, in most cases, if you look at kind of the the recent trends of coaches. Uh, taking a front office role, most of the time it, it ends poorly. You know, it, it ends ugly where the, the coach gets fired. Even if they're doing an okay job, uh, an example would kind of be like Tom Thibodeau, you know, recently with, with Minnesota, where like, you know, as a coach, he wasn't necessarily bad. I mean, you could criticize him for this or that, but it was more of the, the, the front office decision-making. And we just now have a, a track record and, and a bit of a sample size of, coaches do not make good front office personnel because they're inherently at odds with one another where, you know, if you're a coach, you're in win now mode all the time, no matter who's on your roster, right. you want to win every game, every scenario. Like it, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if your team's tanking and gives you a roster of Julie guys, you want to go win. Even if your team doesn't want to do that. So you could do that as a coach. And then, you know, as a GM, you're supposed to be thinking, you know, what, what, what do I want this season? What do I want next season? What do I want four years from now? What do I want seven years from now? Like, you're, you're long-term planning. So those are just inherently at odds. So I think for the, the Clippers to be able to get Doc to basically take a demotion and, and not have to fire him, you know, not have him quit, I think that was huge because Doc still has a lot of cachet around the league. He's still regarded as a player's coach. He's still someone that people want to play for. And I think the fact that they were able to get him to buy into that and kind of realize, like, I can't handle this, you know, like, I've missed, like, frankly, I mean, if we're being honest, like, Lob City, there were a lot of issues with Chris, and with Blake, and DJ, and Austin, and like, 
there was a lot of chemistry stuff. And then they also had, that was compounded by the, the injury situations constantly during the playoffs where like every postseason, you know, Chris or Blake got injured and, and a couple of them, they both got injured and then they also collapsed. So like there's a lot of things that went into the overall disappointment of that era. But one thing that certainly did not help was the way Doc Rivers mismanaged the, the roster, the, the, their assets, like trading a first-round pick for, for Jeff Green, um, you know, having to attach a first-round pick to Jared Dudley to dump him, only for Jared Dudley to immediately bounce back and now you know have carved out another five years of his career after that. And then on top of you know drafting poorly, uh, never filling out the bench correctly, like you go on and on. Like I really think that those Lob City teams, had they had a front office like they have now, or, or just even like an average adequate front office. I think there's a chance they would have at least made one conference finals, if not a finals, with a better bench and just a better overall roster. But that wasn't the case having, you know, Doc kind of yeah. in that position. So really going back to that summer of 2017, um, you know, you have Doc step down. You have Lawrence Frank step up from an assistant coach to, um, you know, or he might have already been GM at that point under Doc, but, but he got, yeah, he was. So he got, he got the promotion above Doc. Um, and then, you know, here's president of basketball operations. They bring in Jay West. They bring in Michael Winger. They bring in Trent Redden. They bring in Mark Hughes. Completely revamp this front office. And that really changed things for the Clippers because, like you just said, every single move, you know, they've made over these last few years has been so calculated and has really put them in this position to do what they just did. Yeah, that's terrific context. They really hit on every single move. And even the thing with Mo Harkless, where they agreed to take on his contract in return, they got another first round pick from Miami. And that was able to entice the Oklahoma City Thunder to do the Paul George trade. Just all these assets that they acquired in return for Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, Tobias Harris, the decision to draft Shea Gilgis Alexander and not let him work out with, with other teams. Just it seems like everything. Yeah, no, and you kind of just hit on all of them. You know, the first real domino transactionally was the Chris Paul trade, which instead of, you know, yes, Chris had incentive to agree to the sign-in trade, but instead of just letting him walk, you know, they, they got a sign-in trade uh, with, with Houston, and, and they got, uh, look, they got three huge pieces back, you know, Pat Beverly, Montrose Harrell, Lou Williams, and two of those three, and even Pat took a slight discount this summer, but really Lou and Trez, um, you know, they've anchored the bench the last two seasons. You know, the first and third and sixth man this season. Uh, Lou's obviously won it back to back and three time winner. Uh, but, but both those guys took, you know, pretty reasonable team friendly deals. And I think that that's another underrated element of what the Clippers have been able to do is like negotiating wise. They've gotten their guy, you know, Lou Williams easily could have made that summer 12 to 15 million instead of his eight. Uh, Montrose Harrell could have made, you know, probably eight to 10 million instead of six. You know, both those guys were more valuable even then than, you know, what they got. And then now they're, they're even more valuable than that. But um, yeah. I just think that the Clippers have managed their cap sheet so well, kept things on short deals, you know, team friendly deals, uh, you know, value contracts. And, you know, they, they flip Chris for that. They flip Blake, obviously, for Tobias, first round pit, a couple seconds, uh, Bobon, Avery Bradley. Then this past trade deadline, they flip Tobias or Andrew Shamit, uh, the, the Miami pick, the Philly pick, um, 
you know, Mike Muscala, who they then flipped for Vita Zubat. So the Clippers have just continued to flip players for, for more assets and more players. And then they just cashed in on this mm-hmm. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard situation. And I do, uh, you know, it, it was a historic price what they paid for Paul George. It's going to be anywhere from five to seven first round picks, depending on how the pick swaps work. But I think the, the context you got to look at it in is it's not like they traded for Paul George only. They traded for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Had yeah. they not gotten Paul George, they would not have gotten Kawhi Leonard. And I guarantee they would not have paid that price for Paul George under normal circumstances. Like if Kawhi was not in the mix and they just wanted Paul George, that mm-hmm. package would have been like half of that, if not even less. Right. So um, I think anyone who wants to criticize that deal, like, Yes, there is risk into the mid 2020s, but you know if the Clippers win a championship or make the finals over the next two three years, I think that's clearly worth it. And if you get a guy like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you do it by any means necessary, even if it's partially mortgaging your future. One hundred percent. And the Raptors are in that situation now, but they got their championship, so it was all worthwhile. You did allude to Patrick Beverly. The defensive-minded guard took $10 million less over three years to re-sign with the Clippers early in the free agency period, but he was rewarded with an extraordinary signing bonus in the form of getting Leonard and George as teammates. So soon, we're going to see those three in the starting lineup together when George comes back and is healthy. That begs the question, and you wrote a terrific piece on this, how special can they be as a defensive unit? I, I think they can be the best. You know, perimeter pairing we've seen since Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan, um, and you know that that might sound like hyperbole, but I don't I don't think it's that ridiculous. Like Kawhi Leonard is already arguably the best perimeter defender of all time. You know, two time Defensive Player of the Year. Um, you know, could have won the award in other years, and you know, he slipped a little bit. Like I think he's not the same defensive force he necessarily was, but. I actually think it's almost been like more of him shifting positionally where like, I feel like before he was better at defending guards and now he's becoming better at defending forwards and kind of playing up. So that actually might work out for the Clippers if they end up playing small with him and George as a three, four, uh, where I, I think Kawhi can guard. I think really both of them can guard, but, but Kawhi especially can guard a lot of fours. Um, you know, he, he's a lot stronger than people think. Uh, he's a lot bigger than people think. And, you know, I think most people have always looked at him as like a three, but uh, it would not surprise me if he eventually kind of transitions more to a four uh, mm-hmm. type role. Um, but yeah, I mean, those two are just, you know, multi, again, Kawhi's defense uh, of reputation speaks for itself, but Paul George, another guy who I think um, he's made four or five all defensive teams. He's six, nine with, you know, seven foot plus wingspan, um, long arms, agile, athletic, you know, like it's just, you know, perimeter defense has arguably become, um, you know, the, the most important thing in the league outside of shooting. And I think you've, you've really seen that in really the last few finals where like, I think one of, you know, obviously shooting has been the Warriors biggest strength. Um, and it's kind of hard to look at the last finals because they were so injured. But, um, you know, outside of shooting, what, what the Warriors do so well is their ability to switch, their ability to have multiple, um, you know, multi-position defenders out there with Draymond and Iguodala and Clay and KD and on and on. And for the Clippers, I think now they're going to be able to replicate that with Kawhi and Paul George. 
a guy like Jermichael Green bringing back who, who can defend three through five, a guy like Mo Harkless who could defend multiple positions, you know, and you know, a guy like Patrick Beverly, who I can't believe I haven't even brought up yet, but, you know, he's going to be that third main defensive cog. And, you know, he's someone that showed last season he could defend one through three and even one through four, despite being, you know, six one, barely six two. Mm-hmm. So um, I just think their their defensive potential is off the charts. And I, I actually, you know, I'm pretty confident they're going to be a good defense. Um, I, I'm also confident they're going to be a good offense. Like, there could be some, I think I have more question marks of the offense, just like, you know, making sure, you know, that they're keeping spacing around Kawhi and, and Paul George. And um, that's why part of me almost thinks they got to go smaller unless, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I'm personally fascinated by who they're going to start and it might just end up being Jermichael at the four and going bigger with, with Kawhi and PG at the two, three. But, um, you know, I think, they're going to have you know a bunch of versatility, a bunch of depth, and I think it's going to be a fun season for Doc, just in terms of finding out lineup combinations and, and you know the rotations and you know what do I go to defensively, what do I go to offensively, and I just think there's a lot of potential with this team, and I could also see them being a team that's not as good in the regular season as people think, and, and then kind of hits their stride in the playoffs because uh, there's going to be a lot of road management for Kawhi. Uh, Paul George might not even start the season. No one's really talking about that. He might not be healthy, uh, you know, in October. So, you know, there's a chance he's not even starting the season, you know, mid-October. So we'll see kind of how that plays out. But, um, you know, defensively, I think this is clearly a top five defense potential, if not the best defense in the league. Yeah, before I move on, I just want to implore listeners to check out your piece on their defense. A lot of really good Tom Thibodeau quotes in there. I think it came out on Sunday. Really good article worth your time. So you perfectly anticipated my upcoming questions. Just to follow up, clarify that I'm understanding you correctly. So I realize George is likely going to miss the beginning of the season, but when they're fully healthy, you think that it might be or should be Beverly, Shamit, George, Leonard, and Zubots, or um, Jamichael Green slides in there? Or um, what do you think is the most likely scenario? So my ideal starting lineup is the first one you mentioned, which would be Zubats, Kawhi, Paul George, Landry, and Pat. Uh, I, I just think that really there aren't there aren't many like big bruising fours. You know, like there are certain matchups where you might want to go bigger. Like the first one that just came to mind uh, is if you're playing Detroit and you got Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. Like, sure, yeah. maybe you don't want Kawhi Leonard or, or Paul George banging with Blake Griffin, but there aren't many, you know, I mean, first off, Detroit's not good. So they, I mean, I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs this year. It's not like they're going to play them in the finals, but there are certain, like, again, and then now you like uh, Philly maybe would, would be one where it's like, all right, Embiid Horford, that's a pretty big front court. Uh, Tobias Harris is another big guy. Like, all right, maybe you go bigger, but, you know, and maybe, and maybe it ends up being some type of compromise where they're constantly switching the starting lineup and, it's really Landry and Michael kind of rotating depending on, on the night. Uh, I think that's something else you could see potentially. But uh, I suspect that from knowing how, you know, looking at guys like LeBron James and KD, who are bigger than, than both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but have both refused to kind of play the four and at least start at the four, um, I would not surprise me if Kawhi and Paul George do not want to play the four and, and would rather be two, three. 
So if that's the case, then you have to give them what they want and start Jermichael, mm-hmm. in which case I'd probably think it'd be uh, Avica, Jermichael, Kawhi, Paul George, and Pat. But um, I, I think, you know, uh, Jermichael was shot really well last season and you got to think he's probably going to be similar this season. But I think Landry's shooting is going to unlock so much stuff with Kawhi and Paul George that to bench him, uh, I think is really going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a potential, you know, difference maker offensively just in terms of their spacing, their gravity, their, their ability to do things offensively. So uh, to me, Landry is a huge key. I'm almost saying, like, kind of considering, like, would you bench Pat in that case and maybe keep Landry out there just because you, I just think his shooting is so valuable. But um, I, I don't know. Doc's going to have to figure that out. But um, I think it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if this is a potential starting lineup that is flexible and shifts night to night. Yeah, and then you have reigning six-man of the year, Lou Williams, coming off the bench and fellow super sub Montrez Harrell. Just so much depth, really. So... Just a really quick update on Paul George's shoulder injuries and how much time you expect him to miss. What's your read on that situation? Uh, I, don't, I don't have one, you know, to be honest. <laughs> um, maybe like two I mean, weeks, no one, we no, don't know. No one, no, Zero no one to four you know, weeks. It's, it's, it's mysterious. Um, I mean, like... He had that I, tweet, I really don't right, where it was like, he's good, but that doesn't mean anything, really. No, and... I mean, and that's that's the huge risk, right? Like, if if Paul, I mean, you got to think that the Clippers kind of did their homework on this, and they asked, and they kind of have an idea, and then maybe they're just not sharing it yet. But you know, if Paul George misses, you know, a, a month, uh, you know, two, two to four weeks, like that's kind of one thing I think the Clippers should survive. That you start getting into like December, and he's not back. January, and he's not back. I really think that's going to affect the regular season record. And yeah. I don't think it would be a situation where they miss the playoffs, but you know, Kawhi is going to have his 15 to 20 games of load management. It seems like that that's going to be the plan moving forward. Uh-huh. So uh, maybe, you know, maybe you backload those where, where he's resting a lot in like January, February, once Paul George is back. But you know, you also got to remember when, when, you know, guys rarely come back from injury, like a hundred percent or even like 90%. So like, it's going to be Paul George comes back and then you have a, I don't know, two, three, four-week period where he's kind of readjusting, getting his legs under him, kind of getting a shot back, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, especially with the shoulder injury, like that, that directly affects your shooting. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, that, that's kind of the wild card. Like, it, I think it could swing the Clippers' season from like a 47-48 win team to like a 58 win team. Like, I, I don't know what, you know, kind of where they're going to fall in that because, you know, for for uh, they did keep most of the core together for from last year, but they did lose Daniel Gallinari and Shake Gilders Alexander. So, like, if Paul George isn't playing and Kawhi Leonard is resting, you basically have last season's team without Daniel Gallinari and Shake Gilders Alexander, which you know were two starters, two really important pieces. So that version of that team is probably like a forty-one team, or maybe even worse. So. I just think it's going to be really interesting kind of how that whole dynamic plays out because if Paul George is out for a significant amount of time, uh, I really think that's going to kind of, you know, mess with the Clippers' plans and potentially have to put more pressure on Kawhi to, to not load manage, to, to, you know, play more minutes, to, to perform better and all this stuff. So um, uh, that's kind of the, I think the one like kind of 
semi-dark cloud hanging over this whole thing is like, when is Paul George back? What's mm-hmm. he going to look like? So offensively, you mentioned spacing is your biggest area of concern. Describe how Leonard and George might fit together offensively and, and how Doc Rivers figures to approach staggering versus what we saw with what he did with Paul and Griffin over the years. That's the other thing is like, I, I you know, I, Doc historically doesn't stagger. That's always been his thing. And I, I think, um, you know, he, he did a little bit with Love City as it kind of progressed, but Doc has always been, and a lot of that was out of more of necessity of like not having depth. Um, and I think he kind of eventually realized, like, I can play, um, you know, Blake with the second unit and kind of give him his reps, or I can have Chris and DJ do the pick and roll with the second unit without Blake. Um, so he, he kind of rotated out a little bit. But really, these last few years, Doc has gone very heavy on two units, um, you know, keeping Lewis guys kind of separate from the starters. Um, you know, he'll bring them in for a little bit in the first quarter, but then. He goes pretty quickly to that second unit, and then they'll play a good you know, six to eight minutes in both halves of that second unit together. I think that's going to have to change, uh, just because I don't. I mean, the, the the staggering thing. There's an argument of both ways, right? Like, and kind of saw it with OKC too, where you know they felt that you know the the minutes Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook were on the floor together were so dominant, so good that they would rather you know, be mediocre or bad for eight to 10 minutes and then be great for those, you know, 36, 38 yeah, minutes. It, it outweighs the um, drawbacks. Exactly. But, but, but then there's also data, that you, look, you know, look at the Warriors and how they've staggered and, and, you know, it's allowed a guy like Clay to, to kind of, you know, go off with the second unit or sometimes they'd go, uh, you know, KD and then Draymond or whatever, whatever they would do, like, you know, there are advantages to kind of letting the guy, um, you know, letting one of your stars go against the second unit, letting one of your stars who's maybe not getting as many shots as he wants or normally would get to do that against the second unit. So for me, I think it's probably, it's probably best to kind of hedge and do like a little bit of both where, you know, probably 75, 80% of the, of the minutes Kawhi and Paul George play are together and then they each kind of get some time alone with the second unit. Um, you also got to factor in Lou Williams, and you know it's going to be—he's probably the person who's going to have to adjust the most because he's going from like the leading scorer and go-to option to now the third option, and maybe even the fourth, depending on you know if Trez has it going or if Landry has it going. Like, uh-huh. so it's going to be—you know—it wouldn't surprise me now if Lou doesn't close games. Like, um, you know, it's, it's crazy to think of that, but like him going from being the mandatory closer to now you're throwing two perimeter guys out there. You're going to need like Pat probably for defense too. And then there might not be another guard spot or you might prefer Landry and shooting and doesn't need the ball. But then also, so, as, think, as you noted in the article, you could afford his um, defensive liabilities if you have yes, exactly, exactly. George, you, Leonard, you can, and Beverly in there. So maybe you do want to close with him. I could see it maybe either you do. way. Um, I, it, it, you know, and that's, again, it's going to be Doc Rivers' options, and, and that's kind of the beauty of, of what he, yeah. you know, what the Clippers have built here. Um, is I, I just think there's... You know, there, there's you don't think the case. There's too many options, and it could almost be uh, you know paralysis by analysis. But uh, I do think right. that the person who's probably going to adjust the most is Lou Williams. Like it could give him the biggest upside in terms of like he's not really a number one option, so him being a number three is very very dangerous. Uh, but 
you know, he, he also will have to adjust, you know, he'll probably play less, take less shots, score less. Um, so it's just going to kind of be him accepting that, but you're going to see a trickle down effect of like, you know, things are going to be easier for Montrezl Harrell. Things are going to be easier for Landry Shamit. Uh, things will be easier for Jermichael Green. I think there's just going to be a whole net effect of the, all the attention Kawhi and Paul George draw offensively and kind of how that, you know, helps the rest of the guys. But to your point again, I, I do think that, I mean, the Clippers have the depth to run a second unit, you know, lineup and kind of get away with it. Like, and I actually think their second unit now is, is deeper and better. Um, you know, you're going to have Lou Trez, Jermichael, Mo Harkless, and then probably Rodney Magruder, Jerome Robinson in, in that, uh, you know, last spot. Or maybe Landry Shamit if Jermichael shifts to uh, the, the starting lineup and then Landry comes off the bench. But um, I think they'll probably have the second unit a good 10, 12 minutes a game. But I do think they'll they'll have to stagger Kawhi and Paul George where they each get some reps uh, with that lineup. Wednesday morning, your colleague Sean Serrania broke the news that Leonard's signing actually a three-year contract with the Clippers and that third year is a player option. So both he and Paul George can be free agents in 2021. It seems like a smart move for Leonard in terms of maximizing his earning power and flexibility. But what, if anything, does that mean for the Clippers with regard to the pressure that they have to win as soon as possible? Uh, I, I think there's a you know there, there's already going to be pressure just because there, there's inherent pressure of anytime you put a title contending roster together, there, there's that pressure to win. Um, and especially now that the Clippers are the Vegas favorites, or depending on the book, the, the co-favorites with the Lakers, uh, you know that, that also adds pressure because the Clippers have never been the favorites. They, they've always been third, fourth, fifth, whatever, during the whole Lob City era, they're never number one. And, and you know, so I, I think there's there's the pressure of that. But, you know, with this new development with the Kawhi Leonard contract, um, it, it does put pressure on them to to really cater to what he wants, uh, you know, over the next two years to meet his expectations of what he thinks of the roster and what he thinks of the team and their potential. Like, you know, if this team doesn't make you know, if they lose in the second round this year and, and then like next year make the conference finals or something along those lines, that might not be enough for him. Like he, he might, it might be a finals or bust, a title or bust for him. So uh, I don't really know. I, again, you got to think the Clippers did their homework on this and, and talked to him. And look, he, he probably only did the two plus one to opt out and, you know, get a bigger max, get get the 10 year max uh, in 2021. But if things don't go well, and you know we, we've had situations before where we thought, you know, player X was going to, you know, be in, you know, team Y forever or for the rest of their career, and it, it kind of flames out. I don't see that happening with these Clippers. Uh, you know, again, barring Paul George's, you know, health taking a nosedive, um, I think they they at minimum will be, you know, the top two or three team in the West. So. There is more pressure, but I'm going to say, like, realistically, I think this is more about him earning more money than him leaving. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. This is Sekou Smith of NBA TV, NBA.com, and the Hangtime Podcast. You're doing the right thing if you're listening to On the NBA Beat. With uh, Sean Livingston officially being waived by the Warriors, he's now available. 
I am personally on board with adding him, and it's not at all for sentimental reasons, although that would be a storybook ending to his career to return to the Clippers. Do you agree or disagree with me that it would be a good move? Um, I'm kind of split because I'm with you on the sentimental end where I think it would be a nice gesture. I think it would be kind of coming full circle of him, um, you know, that, that gruesome knee injury and kind of the way that, stalled his career changed his career and then you know he's obviously gone on to be very successful you know winning a couple couple rings or what three rings and uh being well i guess their their seventh man pretty much during that whole run and one of the best backup point guards in the league during that stretch but uh, at the same time i've talked to people you know my colleagues who cover the warriors for the athletic and, and just um other warriors people and it just seems like he's done you know, like it, he is no one really feels that he is capable of like rotation minutes anymore. And I just think that if you're the Clippers, like, uh, I mean, it, I guess it would just depend on like if they really feel like they need a, another ball handler or not. But uh, I'm not a, the biggest fan of just wasting a roster spot. And, mm-hmm. you know, if he can't play uh, and can't contribute at all or can't contribute well, yeah. then I'm kind of of the mindset it might be best to, you know, just pass on him. Like, I don't know, maybe maybe they sign a non-guaranteed one-year deal or something. I, I don't even know if that's possible for a veteran of his stature, but something like something where, like, it's guaranteed by, like, around the All-Star break or whatever, then they could kind of decide if they want to, to sign a point guard because I do think point guard is potentially another area of need, like a third-string point guard uh, on this team, and Sean can theoretically do that, but you know, I, I just don't know his health wise and, and you know, how much he has left in the tank. Yeah, he takes care of the ball. He has championship experience. He brings size, which they lost with SGA going, and he's just a, such a skilled passer. But you're right. If he doesn't have the skills, then there's really no point. As we wind down, few, if anyone, disagree that the timing of Kawhi Leonard's decision really hamstrung the Lakers team building around Anthony Davis and LeBron James but they seem to have recovered pretty well and so they're regarded as one of the top teams in the West to what extent would you agree that the two LA teams are now the teams to beat in the West and what's the gap between the Clippers and the Lakers barring any health issues or the Clippers and the rest of the league I think the the Lakers recovered fairly well. I, I just I'm still not. Oh, well, I'm not a fan of several of the moves. I I'm just I'm not a Rajon Rondo fan. Uh, I think that his his lack of shooting, even though he shot the ball okay last season, you know what one thing I I've learned over the years is a lot of times it's not just if a guy can shoot, it's it's more of their reputation and. You know, this is something that, you know, not to go too deep in the weeds, but like the guy that all, it always stood out to me with this was Matt Barnes, where, you know, Matt Barnes became an above average three point shooter and actually, you know, made some pretty big threes and in shots with the Clippers, but teams never respected him as a shooter. And even though the numbers showed he was shooting, you know, 37, 38% from three, defenses did not respect him and that clogged the paint for Blake that clogged the paint for DJ. So I think Rondo is a similar kind of effect where it doesn't matter if he shoots 40% from three, first off, he's never going to be high volume. And second off teams are never going to guard him. So um, I just think he's a, he's a net negative offensively, despite being such a good passer because he's not really a scorer. 
and you know his shooting is very inconsistent, and no one's going to guard him. Uh, also, I'm a noted not big fan of Avery Bradley. Uh, I think he is, you know, like he had a nice little stretch there with Memphis, but I think he's an overrated defender. Uh, I think that he, he loves terrible mid-range shots, and uh, the Clippers got much better after trading him. Uh, and then uh, Boogie, I think again is is just another name that people kind of. You know, they remember two years ago, they want to reference that rating with, with Anthony Davis as being plus five, but that was before he tore his Achilles. And the guy is, you know, really, in my opinion, wasn't even half the player he used to be last season. You know, he can barely move defensively. And so for me, really, my big questions with the, with the Lakers are the defense. I think looking at the rotation, to me, they only have two plus defenders, which are Danny Green and uh, Anthony Davis. Uh, I think guys like Rondo, KCP, Avery Bradley are more closer to average defensively and they're all small. And I think that's really the advantage. If you're looking at, if you're looking at a Clippers Lakers series, you know, the, the, the Lakers do have LeBron and, and AD who are bigger than Paul George and Kawhi if, if they're matching up. But outside of that, you know, they have no one to really guard those two. Like LeBron is not the defender. He used to be, can't guard them. Uh, maybe AD steps up and has to guard one of them, but like, if you're going to put Danny Green on Paul George, he's got three inches on him. If you're going to put KCP, he's got four. If you're going to put Avery Bradley, he's got six. Like, I just think the, the Lakers are too small in the perimeter, uh, not good enough defensively, and I still have some questions about their shooting and, and their rotation. So, for me, I, I think I think the Lakers have maybe the highest upside in the league just because I, I think there's a chance that the LeBron-AD pairing is the best pairing in the NBA. And I think especially if Anthony Davis takes another step in his development alongside LeBron. They have the potentially the highest upside, I think, in the league, uh, just because no one can really guard him. But outside of that, I would say in terms of like where they stand, I mean, I'd still probably put those two as the top two, but in, at, at full strength, everyone's healthy. Clippers to me are a five to eight win better team than the Lakers. And I think in a playoff series, they'd probably beat them in five or six games. And just a one word answer, is there a sizable gap too between them and any team in the East, like the Bucks and 76ers, for instance? No, there's a gap, but I don't think it's sizable. Okay. Um, I think both those teams have strengths against the Clippers, and the Clippers have their own strengths against them. But um, I would pick the Clippers, uh, you know, barring, you know, again, injury, I would pick them over everyone else. Just a really quick note before I go to the final question the Clippers were really close to meeting the Lakers in the 2006 playoffs when the Lakers led the Suns three games to one. And then the Lakers, of course, blew that series. But there was almost a playoff series, so it'd be crazy if the Lakers and Clippers met this season in the Western Conference Finals or another round, and it's definitely possible. Just the last question, I really appreciate you braving the internet issues and just being really busy in Las Vegas covering the Clippers. I just want to know more about Jerry West and his impact in all of this. He's now 81 years old, and the logo is regarded as one of the best executives around of all time, really. He's been getting a lot of praise for the Clippers offseason coup. How big or little of a role do you think he actually played this time? Jerry, Jerry is hard to kind of gauge his value because I think sometimes he gets more credit than he deserves, which is kind of a weird thing to say. Uh, but he just is so famous. I mean, he's the freaking logo. Like he's just so well known, so famous that, um, and his track record speaks for itself. If you look at what he did with the Lakers, what he did with the Grizzlies, what he did with, 
uh, the Warriors, now with the Clippers in two years, like his track record speaks for itself. You know, you, you don't need to, to you know talk really about every single movie's made because he's made you know league altering you know moves and transactions. But at the same time, the guy's a consultant, and you know he's not boots on the ground. Um, you know, 12 to 15 hour work days in the office, like, like most of the front offices, like that, that's not really his role at this point. You know, he's 81 years old, but, uh, at the same time, he's consulted on everything, you know, every single transaction the Clippers make, he's involved in the process. And I think if you look at the moves he has made throughout his time as probably the best league executive ever, you, you can see some trends and, and you can see, where he's had his fingerprints. And, and I think really the, the type of, you know, two types of moves that, um, you know, he, he's had have been the, the Blake Griffin trade and, and the, the Tobias Harris trade. Like both of those moves screamed Jerry West because they were not very popular. Uh, you know, Clipper fans loved Blake Griffin. He, he was going to, you know, he's probably, he should be the first jersey retired uh, by, by the Clippers. You know, he's the best Clipper ever probably at, at this point. Um, or arguably it's him or Chris. And uh, if he's not the best, he's at least the most important Clipper up to this point. Um, and I, I think that, you know, the, the the decision to trade him was a difficult one. I, you know, I reported about this in January. Um, you, you know, the, the franchise really went back and forth on what to do. It was, the front office was split. The entire organization was split. There was a lot of people who really were against trading Blake Griffin and, and really thought that, that could be the last star the franchise had for a long, long time. And for, for them to do that, for them to pull the trigger on that, that's just a Jerry West move. You know, this guy, he, he just looks at things in such a objective, you know, business-like, almost borderline ruthless approach where it's like, what's best for the organization? What's best for the team? Is this guy a, a part of our future? Is he not? And they deemed, you know, he deemed and, and the front office deemed an organization that Blake wasn't. Same thing with Tobias. They decided we're not paying this guy the max. He's not worth it. We don't want to, you know, be pigeonholed or kind of cornered into having this guy being one of our two best players. So let's flip him for a nice young piece of Andrew Shamit, some some nice picks that we, you know, flip for other things. And, you know, let's just kind of get out of this before it was almost, it was basically a sign and trade before, you know, he was even a free agent. Like they preemptively, got rid of Tobias and got stuff for him because they knew they were not going to sign him. And I think just those two moves in particular really show the type of, you know, league executive, the type of front office guy that Jerry West is, you know, he, he's always thinking one, two, three steps ahead. And it's not always the popular move. It's not always the the move that's going to win the press conference or, or, you know, win fans over. But over time, I think he's shown with his approach that it works. uh, he, He always gets results. And if you, uh, you know, if you look at his historic track record, he's always turned, t- you know, uh, middling to, to struggling franchises around within one, two, three years. And I think yet again, you know, last time we did this podcast, it was two years ago. They had just traded Chris Paul and re-signed Blake Griffin. Well, two years later, they're the championship favorites and they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And I think that is the Jerry West effect. It was really great getting your insight on all of this. Thanks a lot, you know. Of course, man. Anytime. Try to squeeze in a vacation. <laughs> and end of August, I will. <laughs> Sounds good.